when you think about the dynamic of the workforce retiring, your need and ability to hire, retain people, part of the challenge is, is they weren't particularly excited about the industry, but also they've got this burning desire to work with companies that do actually take sustainability seriously. Welcome to Conquering Chaos, the show for manufacturing leaders. In each episode, we're connecting you to the manufacturing leaders of today who are driving the innovations needed to future-proof the operations of tomorrow. If you feel like your time is spent fighting fires and trying to control the everyday chaos, this show is the show for you. My name is Josh Santo. I'll be your host. All right. Welcome to the show. So with me, I've got the CEO of Parsable, Lawrence Whittle. He's got two decades of enterprise software experience, global experience at that. And he started his career in manufacturing software, but now he's helping to drive a new category of software called Connected Worker. Lawrence, thank you so much for being on the first episode of Conquering Chaos. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Josh, and thanks for having me, and I'm delighted to be the first. And yeah, you mentioned about my background, you know, it's really interesting in this really challenging year to just reflect on, you know, my last couple of decades. And as you mentioned, you know, I started manufacturing software back in the 90s and early 2000s, and a lot of technology was being emerging at that stage. And now, you know, as we live through the 2020 pandemic, as you mentioned, I'm driving this new category connected work, and I remain, you know, very, very motivated and excited. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So our topic today is sustainability as your competitive edge. And I know that this is a topic that you brought to my attention. I know sustainability is something that you're particularly passionate about. And I would love if we started our conversation by having you directly share with our audience, why is it that sustainability is an important topic to you? Absolutely, Josh. So this sort of goes back some time. It's not something that I've sort of just jumped on the bandwagon of recently. As you can probably hear, originally from the UK, and I actually left London over 30 years ago. And one of the things I noticed when I moved to the US, you know, 15 years ago, and been in the US for you know for business for almost two decades is that just the general awareness of the environment is just a lot stronger in Europe. And as I came into the US, I started to wonder why that was. And I don't really know why it is, but it's definitely from my early sort of years in, in Europe that just a lot more aware of, of the environment, pollution, etc. So it sort of was, was in my early DNA. But the reason why it's really become, you know, really front of mind to me is for, for two other reasons. So firstly, you know, I have three children. They're all obviously, you know, either teenagers or early 20s. I've got one that's 16, one that's 20, and one that's 22. And, you know, their whole life has been driven around the awareness of the environment. And so, you know, as I've listened to them and how important that generation, you know, millennials and Gen Zs view this, I started to really, you know, realize how important this is, not just for now, but certainly for the future generations. So that's the first sort of primary reason, history and then my, my kids. And then more recently, as I've got actively involved in the World Economic Forum over the last couple of years, you know, I started to get hold of a lot of really, really clear data around what was going on in the world around the topic of sustainability. So, you know, it came from my roots, accelerated with my children. And then in the last couple of years, as I've got more and more data, it's just become, you know, really front of mind for me. That's great. So not only are you an accomplished leader in the software industry, but accomplished in the family life as well. Having that awareness, having something that really unites a family outside of work, something like sustainability, which you know really has an impact on all of us, is something that does tend to resonate with a younger generation, in particular, millennials and Gen Z. So your kids, based off the age range, that would make them Gen Z. Is that correct? 
Correct. Yes. Got it. Well, I think that that's like, you know, important thing for you to bring up is not just your children, but that idea of the younger generation really resonating with an issue like this, because it's one of the topics and one of the questions I wanted to pick your brain about. I know that within the manufacturing industry and really beyond the manufacturing industry, there is this crisis of how do we replace the retiring workforce? How do we lean on leverage and empower the incoming generation, the millennials, and in particular, Generation Z, how do we draw them into our operations and how do we have them power the future of the operations? So kind of connecting to that idea of, you know, you've got kids firsthand who are passionate about this subject as you are, how do you see sustainability as it impacts these shifting workforce dynamics? It's perhaps the most misunderstood subject. I think everyone knows there is a retiring workforce. People have heard about things like the gray tsunami. They've heard about you know, the, the average age of the workforce. But when you actually look at the, the hard facts, Josh, it's pretty outstanding to sit back and think about the impacts. This, without doubt, is an existential risk on the world. And the reason why the two top topics in the World Economic Forum and Davos this year and have been on the agenda are sustainability and the future of work is because they're intrinsically linked. You know, by 2025, so less than five years, 75% of the global workforce will be at least millennials. You know, you've got an estimated 30 to 40% of the industrial world domestically here in North America that are late stage baby boomers in the world. So if you think about this dynamic of this huge amount of people leaving the workforce and they're leaving it after having spent 20 years, maybe even more, they're 20 to 30 year veterans. They joined as an apprenticeship and then have stayed and have got a tremendous amount of tacit knowledge. So first issue, they're leaving. Second issue is that there's a lot of fake news around you know, the future of work and, and robots and automation. Factually, there is already a predicted shortage of a couple of million open, unfilled jobs in industry here in North America, and this pattern is across the world. And so you take these sort of issues, and then you think, well, what do we do? Well, we've got to hire in Gen Zs and beyond. And if you poll Gen Zs around the world and say, would you like to go and work in an industrial company? First of all, they might ask, what is an industrial company? They probably will then say no. And the reason they will say no is that there's been a perception that the industrial world is it's noisy, it's dirty, it's repetitive, there's no real technology. It's actually far from the truth. When you go into a lot of our customers and a lot of companies, it's actually quite an inspiring environment, but there is this you know, perception. And part of the perception is related to the sustainability. If you think about the subject of climate change, everyone knows that it's related to CO2 emissions. And a lot of people will understand that CO2 emissions are related to industrial activity. In fact, there's a lot of detail on this, which I think is worth just sharing. So industrial activity obviously does create a huge amount of CO2 emissions. Commercial real estate also drives a lot of you know, CO2 emissions because they're just inefficient buildings and you know, people have windows open, et cetera. So when you think about the dynamic of the workforce retiring, your need and ability to hire, retain people, part of the challenge is, is that they weren't particularly excited about the industry, but also they've got this burning desire to work with companies that do actually take sustainability seriously and sustainability under sort of the ESG umbrella, you know, environmental sustainability and governance, these people are mission driven. And so you sort of step back, you start to realize the retiring workforce, big issue, our ability to hire is a big issue. 
And part of the issue is because of the perception around sustainability. So that's how these things are all sort of interconnected, Josh. Yeah, the hiring point is particularly key. I'm going to quote someone and I'll reveal the source of the quote in just a second. 70% of millennials said a company's sustainability record would impact their decision to stay with the company for the long haul. I mean, that's a huge percentage. Now, by the way, that quote does come from you from an article that you recently posted on Forbes, but I think that that's particularly relevant, putting the numbers behind that, that 70% of the future of the workforce said that the company's sustainability record impacts their decision. Very important from a, how do we make sure we keep this talent? Because not only is the loss coming, to your point, but there's the potential for future losses because millennials are already in the workforce you called out specifically of how they're coming into those positions and those leadership positions and those ability to make decisions, understanding that the loss of talent will be speeding up, not just with the retiring workforce, but those people who seek to work at different companies that more closely reflect what they believe in. Yeah, I mean, I maybe make one other comment, Josh, on that is that, you know, the, the world at large, to some extent, has voted on this. Obviously, there's been a lot of you know, politically charged debate around climate change, etc., especially here domestically in North America. But I think this has been a growing subject that is obviously impacting, you know, millennials and Gen Zs and the combination of where they want to work. But it's, it's also just gen- generally in society that I think there's a, been an awakening. So although it's acutely impacting the industrial space, and as you mentioned, that, that statistic is out, you know, is, is like very concerning about the 70%. It is really a derivative of the overall societal view on this now being a you know super, super important issue. It always has been. It's been you know glowing for a number of years with the great work that Al Gore's been driving. But I think really 2018, 19, 20, you know, cases now closed. We've just got to get better as a world. Absolutely. And you know, there's even some questions brought up as to how that perception by the millennial generation will impact the decisions of the Generation Z, who may look at some of the impact that millennials accomplished in their decision to also join or not join the ranks of another company. So you said something else in that article as well, particularly, and I'm going to quote you again, as millennials gain ground in manufacturing management positions, the production efficiencies enabled through technology and its ability to document gains made or waste averted will be key to the transparency, as well as a reason to stay loyal to a company. And one of the things that stands out to me, so we're, we're moving away from that idea of recruiting, and now we're talking about a little bit of retaining, but we're also discussing efficiency, right? The efficiency is enabled through technology. And that gets to another point of the sustainability as a competitive edge, efficiency gains. So I'd love to hear from you, Lawrence. Can you talk us through the potential or the impacts of sustainability on production? Absolutely. And the reason I'm really excited about this particular question you raised is the worry I think a lot of people have in manufacturing, or maybe not just manufacturing, maybe the world is, what is the commercial impact of becoming sustainable? What's really interesting is I've gone around the world and talked to customers and observed manufacturing processes. One of the biggest ways we can actually improve sustainability is just being more efficient. If you think about, you know, wastage in the production process if you think about you know just product wastage of of raw material before they go into the finished product if you think about you know wastage related to water usage when you're cleaning things if you think about you know energy waste is because people don't turn lights off of just putting in place around the manufacturing supply chain process a set of guardrails and increasingly with the tools like passports, connected workers, you know, digital guardrails that can actually just make sure that people 
adhere to the process that's already in place. So you don't have to sort of change anything, just become more aware of the impact of inefficiency, which will obviously drive ROI, but also the derivative benefit is that you're you know, helping sustainability because you're monitoring more safely and more seriously because of the digital framework, things such as wastage and things such as energy consumption. There's a you know an interesting, very, very strong correlation, which is that if you, for example, if you do autonomous maintenance, uh, so if you think about machines, the machines need to be maintained. But if you've got a principle where you've actually got people that are working with the machines continually doing maintenance, the machine will run more efficiently, it will consume less power, and obviously the outputs of the machine from a negative perspective will be reduced. If you think about a context of Gemba Walk, so Gemba Walk is something you know understood in the industrial world where you basically are doing observations. If you think about a Gemba Walk for energy efficiency, if you had every factory in the world commit to do an energy efficiency Gemba Walk twice a day, you know, in the morning and at the end of the day shift, where you had someone systematically with a digital framework walking around the facility making sure things are switched off windows are closed you drive up efficiency so that's why i'm really passionate about this is that look there's a lot of things that you need to change and i'll come on to that later in terms of the competitive advantage but just putting a more disciplined framework around how manufacturing supply chain operates will drive efficiency and i'll maybe give a very very basic one and we've seen this a lot with our customers this year think about the millions of trucks that are out there in the world of e-commerce, you know, e-commerce has gone like crazy during this year. So the volume of trucks, the volume of distribution center activity has gone up dramatically. Just using digital tools to ensure the operational safety and the operational resilience of that truck fleet, making sure the you know that the oil has been changed, making sure the tires have been pumped up correctly. Just doing again that systematically has a concrete value in efficiency as a derivative of the productivity. So, so that's really how I'm looking at the efficiency gains without changing anything. Don't have to change it. So we can talk about moving from hydrocarbon power to electric power. But before you get anywhere near that, just using a systematic framework to benchmark. And then one other thing which I think is really interesting, as I go around the world, not just Gen Zs and millennials, but I think the, the general world's population wants to sort of line up for this. And if you start to create this atmosphere of accountability, you know, shift by shift, site by site around just doing sustainable things within your current manufacturing process and distribution process, you're automatically going to raise the awareness and obviously the derivative benefit. So, so that's a, you know, that's how I'm looking at this based on how I observe the market and the opportunities with digital tools and also people's increasing appetite to get better. Hey, we're going to take a real quick break to hear from our sponsors. Stay tuned for more Conquering Chaos. Hey, this is Josh from Conquering Chaos. Here's another free tidbit sponsored by Parsable that can help you make quick and sustainable changes to frontline operations. Get rid of paper. You probably don't realize how much inefficiency of waste is caused by using paper-based forms, checklists, and SOPs because it's been normalized over time. Well, with modern-day technology like smartphones and tablets, you can bring a dynamic digital experience to operators and mechanics while unlocking opportunities to drive sustainable improvements across your facilities worldwide. Think about it this way. You use your iPhone for everything in your life, communicating with people, 
looking up information you don't know, and interacting with pretty complex systems or Wi-Fi-enabled household devices. You live connected, we all do, and we rely on it, but most frontline operations lack the tools and technology to empower people to work like they live. Connected, Parsible's Connected Worker platform brings your team the tools needed to make work digital and make frontline workers connected workers. Connected workers are connected to people, information, systems, and machines they need to work with to get the job done right every time. Go digital, get connected, and transform your operations at scale with Parsival by empowering your frontline workers to work like they live. Connected. Try 30 days for free today. And now, back to the show. So there's a couple of key points that I want to touch on, just to recap. And then there's another subject related to what you just brought up that I, I want to dig into. So first of all, I love what you said about how making this change doesn't have to be something dramatic, how there is opportunity to tackle some, you know, for lack of a better word, just inherent inefficiencies. For example, one of the things you brought up, water usage. You know, I think if you think about some of the processes on a manufacturing floor, sometimes there's this idea of a washout, water is needed. Like, what is the best way to do that? You know, what can you do to make sure that every drop of water that is used is used only because it's 100% necessary to perform that essential task? I also loved how you called out that idea of accountability, which gets into building a culture in which this is aware and this is top of mind, which as the younger generation comes in and takes over should kind of go hand in hand at that point because you've got the culture outside of work that's very focused on that, bringing that culture within the work. There's one thing that you called out that I would love for you to speak a little bit more on. You specified digital tools in particular. So why call out digital tools as a necessity for these efficiency gains? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go in many manufacturing sites, service centers, distribution centers, you'll still see a lot of physical clipboards and binders. And within those physical clipboards and binders, and even within people's you know, tacit knowledge, they already know that they should be doing this work. They know that they should be using water in the right way. They know they should be maintaining the machines in the right way. The challenge is, is that, you know, people are people and, you know, paper is paper. And if I'm late on a shift or I'm, you know, busy or something, I forgot about something, it's just all too easy to, you know, pencil whip and say, I did something. The benefit of digital is that there's nowhere to hide because, you know, digital solutions, for example, let's take the energy gamble walk. Of course, I could walk around the facility with a piece of paper that says, check all those 17 doors are closed, check all those 52 windows are shut, make sure every single light is switched off and you've set the air conditioning to come on at this time. So of course that could be on a piece of paper, but do you know they've actually done it? One of the benefits of digital, particularly with things like smartphones and tablets is that first of all, inherently, it's going to prompt you to do something. It's not just gonna prompt you to say, please switch the lights off. It's gonna say, please confirm digitally switch the lights off and also take evidence that you've switched the lights off with a, with a picture. So you start to get this framework where you move from you know, a static paper-based or best intent in my tacit knowledge environment to a digital framework, which is prompting you to do it, requesting you to take evidence to do it. And all of that data is then captured. And there's one other interesting benefit is that once 
people start to get used to this new way of working, it's actually sometimes easier than paper because often the paper then needs to go back onto someone's desk who then keys it into some spreadsheet. So you've also got this efficiency gain of actually collecting the data. So the difference between you know the analog world and the digital world is you don't really know what went on in the analog world because it's paper-based and it's only as good as what someone writes or doesn't write. But also the sheer nature of paper, it's, you know, it's, it's not particularly efficient. So that's why these digital tools become really, really interesting because they drive a framework of what you should do. It ensures that you did it and it ensures that you did it in a very intuitive way because it's these modern digital tools such as Passable are designed to be you know, a superior experience They're like any other app that a 30-year veteran knows how to upload a video to Facebook or send a text message to his son in, in university a millennial knows how to do it to Instagram and maybe a WhatsApp. So that ease of use and the accountability framework is what's the difference between the traditional approach and the digital approach. So it sounds like, based on what you're saying, that one of the keys to improving sustainability current day with minimal to no expenditure required, you know, really driving those efficiencies with what you already have. A key part of that is the digital tool because of the accountability that it brings. Correct. Yeah. It, it, it creates a framework that, first of all, guides people on what they should do. It drives an accountability that they execute it and a validation that they actually did it. And then also this motivational piece, you know, there's some really interesting things going on around, you know, also making that somewhat competitive. You know, if you start to, you know, sort of put shift by shift or site by site and say, you know, the, the people that run the most efficient process around energy, et cetera, then you can start to sort of create a, a really competitive environment. It's just very, very difficult to do that at the speed of digital and at the fidelity of digital and at the traceability of digital. Well, sure. It's hard to make a change using the same thing that you've been doing over and over the same way with the same tools. So at, at some point, if you really want to make an impact, you are going to look at what is that different tool that's going to empower me to accomplish whatever it is. Now, that idea of responsibility, that idea of holding people accountable, this is another topic that I'd like to get into when talking about sustainability as a competitive edge. It's no secret that consumer demand is constantly shifting. More products that more specifically represent the one end user or that end individual, that end consumer who wants to feel represented with the products that they purchase, whether that be you know, a focus on a craft beer that more reflects you know, my unique taste or whether it be a shade of lipstick that my wife is interested in that fits her particular tone. The demands are not only shifting from what is that product that the consumer wants, but also more and more is this focus on corporate social responsibility. People are identifying those products with the company that makes those products. And if that company that makes that product, if their values are not in line with the consumer values, then they're no longer a consumer of that particular product. What are your thoughts on corporate social responsibility? So my thoughts are, again, that the case is almost closed everywhere in the world, whether it's you know London, Paris, New York, Tokyo, Beijing. Consumers have voted and they voted because of increasing awareness. And so the social responsibility now is shifting from we need to be socially responsible to we have to be socially responsible to 
we are socially responsible and look what this is doing for my business. And you, you sort of raised a couple of interesting points there. So if you think about consumer demand, you may have heard this, you know, context of a batch of one. You know, if you think about when you buy a car, you've got mm-hmm. multiple options. You can have leather seats, you can have vinyl seats, you can have a leather steering wheel, etc. So increasingly in, in every world consumer product, people want to have it customized to their own way. So you first of all, you've got that like, wow, that's a really big transformational impacts on how I need to think about manufacturing. So by definition, I need to be more efficient because my customers are demanding ever increasingly personalized products. And then they are asking questions around how did you make it? What did you make it? Was it done in a sustainable way? Mm-hmm. Was it done in a factory somewhere where you're underpaying people or not treating people you know, in, a, in a very diverse sense? So I think there's a really interesting framework here now where you know consumers are making judgments that is on top of the sustainability judgments they're making. They have a product of choice in a certain format and they want to make sure it's sustainable. And again, talking about Europe, one of the things that was really visible in Europe in 2019 and actually into this year as well, the big TV, European TV satellite company called Sky embarked on a really, really big investigation series around plastic, single-use plastic. And this is an increasing hot topic in Europe. And, you know, you started to see some facts that if we're not careful, the weight of plastic in the oceans will be more than the weight of fish. And once this became visible you could see the way that people were thinking about single-use plastic. If you think about how that's furthered into the environment, you start to see now, you know, almost day by day, how beverage companies are starting to really think about, I do not need to have a four-pack of beer with a plastic sort of cap to keep them together. I can do that with, you know, sustainable packaging, sustainable plastic. Mm -hmm. I start to think about how can I, you know, have a circular economy where the products that I buy... I can actually take that bottle back to the store and have the shampoo filled up in that existing bottle. So you started to see this intersection of consumer choice and sustainability and companies started to adopt it and then using that as a competitive advantage because Mm -hmm. people now want to know you're sustainable. They want to know that you actually take the whole ESG subject seriously. So it's broader than just sustainability and you start to get greater customer advocacy. And by the way, people will pay more for that now than they would in the past. You know, in the 70s, 80s, and probably from the 50s, well before my time, it was a rush to the bottom. Cheap, how, we can, how can we manufacture cheaper, faster, cheaper, faster? Because that's what the, the world wanted. Now you've got this way more balance. People will be prepared to pay a little bit more for knowing that it's a sustainable product and their advocacy towards products is for surely going to go up. And that's what's really exciting about this. It's really twisted from being, eh, should I do it? People are saying now to actually, it's driving greater customer advocacy and customer loyalty by being sustainable. Great. And there's, there's a quote that sticks with me on this idea of sustainability. And really, it's less about sustainability and more as having a mission as a company. It's by Peter Drucker. Profit for a company is like oxygen for a person. If you don't have enough of it, you're out of the game. But if you think your life is about breathing, you're really missing something. And really tying that to this idea of corporate social responsibility, yes, companies have to think about the profit, but there's more to a company 
than profit, right? There's the people that make up the company and there's the people that the company serve. And one of my biggest takeaways of our conversation is how increasingly and quickly the people that make up the company and the people that the company serve are demanding sustainability. So with that, Lawrence, what would you say, what are some key actions or steps someone can take to help drive sustainability within their organization? Yeah, absolutely. And that was a very profound statement you made there. I I actually took a note of that one. I'd not heard that one before. So uh, thanks for that, Josh. And, you know, the good news is, is that I can point to many, many situations around the world. I can point to, you know, Coca-Cola European partners. You just go to their site and you see how they're taking this sustainability, you know, super strategically. It's not just a nice to have. They're driving it throughout their operations. If you look at the largest bakery in the world, Grupo Bimbo, and see what they're doing with their direct store delivery fleet of vehicles where they're moving over to a more sustainable, you know, not driven by hydrocarbons, but, you know, electric vehicles. And this wasn't possible until, you know, relatively recently. It wasn't possible for two reasons. Number one, the technology didn't exist. It certainly didn't exist at a, at a price point where it was viable. And also the visibility of the impact. So the good news is, is I think you know, right now, I don't have to sort of convince too many companies, but there are some very practical things, you know, and, I, and what I said at, at the beginning, and actually sort of woven throughout this, some of the practical things that you can do, you know, if you're a plant manager or a regional distribution center manager, or maybe you run a manufacturing group from a, you know, a vice president perspective, you can first of all, just start to use modern digital tools to drive a culture of accountability, not the big stick accountability, but actually making people self accountable. And a good way to start is to think about safety. You know, there's very few people in the world, unless they're uh, somewhat deranged, that are going to object to operating a more safe environment. And one of the benefits of digital is you can drive safety awareness at scale. So, you know, thinking about the correlation of safety with governance and sustainability. So think practically about what use cases could I deploy on a digital tool that's going to drive accountability of the individuals to be aware of the impact and safety. So there's something called behavioral observation safety, which is where you want everyone to change their behavior, how they observe safety issues. As simple as, you know, if I'm looking in my office now, I've got my my floor heater and there's a big cable going across the floor. That's probably not great. So think about very practical things that can drive self-awareness that's not a burden for the individual and actually is a benefit for them. And then starts to think of analogous situations. I mentioned earlier about you know getting the competitive environment. So start to judge people, not just on efficiency, but also energy efficiency, also on water efficiency. Start to build that into your KPIs, start to make it competitive and provide an environment where they can do that. So, you know, my sort of message on this is that obviously at a strategic level, from a CEO perspective, these ESG initiatives are becoming boardroom level subjects, but also focus on the bottoms up, bringing people along, making themselves accountable, making them be rewarded to be operating in a more safer and sustainable way. And then you'll get the masses in, you know, in, embedded in us. So sometimes very small tasks that can be executed by everyone at scale every day can add up to one other very large initiative. So really, it's really about walking around your operations, thinking about what things are potentially able to contribute to a more ESG responsible environment, and then figure out how do I motivate the individuals to be self-accountable, and then also reward them for these activities. And very, very quickly, things like waste, will go down 
because people realize actually it's good for the company, good for the environment, and it's good for them individually because it's not just a feel-good factor of being part of it, but also you can start to reward them. So that's really my my sort of recommendations is don't automatically think about, well, I need to like build a new factory that's, you know, 100%, you know, solar power driven. We don't use, you know, it's waterless, et cetera. That's also very, very important, but that's a long, long haul for the rest of the world. Mm. We've got, you know, a hundred years of investment, but basic stuff is where to focus on and, and really getting them on board, providing them with the tools, the framework, the motivation, and you'll soon see some tremendous results. And as I said, if I'd have, you've asked me that question two, three years ago, I might've been saying, yeah, we're still a bit of a, but now I feel the willingness and the desire globally is there. We just need to create the framework and provide the tools that make it easy. So it's not big changes that have to happen. It is small changes, small changes like equipping people with the right set of digital tools that will help management drive accountability, but also to your point, bring that competitive spirit. So how do you how do you win both from the individual employee level to as a company and how to drive the culture and the action based off of that. Digital tools, using something like safety as a starting point, something that's practical, it's well-known, it's easy to use, but it's also easy to use by a lot of people in a lot of different points because the efforts are great. You know, It's a great effort if you take action in one spot, but to really drive sustainability, you have to be thinking scale. So you start small, but you do have to work to the, towards that big picture. That's or right. And, yeah, and you know, there's a, a statistically proven correlation that you know, people that operate safely provide a high quality of products and service that drives more efficiency. So it, it's really, you know, when you've heard this concept of a circular economy, you know, if you can get all these moving parts to be thinking about a circular economy, you know, the tide rises for everyone. Lawrence, this has been a great conversation. I know that I've taken away a lot of key points from it. I appreciate your time here. Is there anything that you wanted to make sure that we spoke about that I haven't asked you to speak on? No, I mean, I think we've covered many of the issues and been a free-flowing conversation. You know, I'm, I'm very, very, very optimistic about it. And I'm also very realistic about it. So the final thing I would say is, look, we are in a situation where we have, you know, 100 years of the way the industrial world has operated. It will take time, but the motivation is there. And the more we can drive the adoption, we'll get to the end game faster. And so a bit of patience, but commitment to the cause and you know, being empathetic to the challenges that this brings on the industrial world, but holding everyone accountable is really how I think about this. So really delighted to be on this podcast today. It's a fascinating subject that's important to me, important to most of my customers and important to the world. So thank you for having me on, Josh. Lawrence, thank you. And that's the show. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Conquering Chaos is brought to you by Parsable. If you're a fan of these conversations, subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Just tap the number of stars you think the show deserves. As always, feel free to share what's top of mind for you and who you think we should talk to next. Until then, talk soon, take care, stay safe, and bye bye